Hey everyone, welcome to Amazon's Black Stories podcast, where we highlight the stories of black designers, researchers, and creatives from all around the world. I'm your host, Justin James Lopez, and today I'm joined by Kaylin Moorhead, where we discuss the importance of taking the experiences that you've had and making the path easier for the people to come behind you. Let's hear his story. So, Kaylin, thanks for joining me. For the listeners here, let's talk about what you do at Amazon. Sure, sure. And uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. But as far as you know, what I'm doing at Amazon, I am a user experience designer. Work in the devices space, specifically on Fire TV. So my areas of responsibility really across all Fire TV experiences are related to settings and device setup, or what we call UBI, which is the out-of-box experience. And so really my domain is focused on both our current products as well as emerging products that we have kind of coming down the pipeline and trying to find more ways of really enhancing those experiences as well as trying to mesh them well with a lot of the other devices since we've got you know so many other things out there that all have sort of a varying interest and you know needs and requirements and things like that so very interesting sort of work in that space yeah so i'm not going to lie when whenever i hear fire tv the first thing i think about is the fire phone Sure. <laughs> is, that, is that something that we were thinking about at all? You know, I, you know, I, I will. I'd be honest if I said that I didn't also think about Fire Phone whenever I hear the names <laughs> yeah. like Fire TV, Fire Tablet, any of that stuff. Backtracking here, as far as you know, your your current work as a as a designer, I want to explore a bit about how you got into that space, right? Yeah. So where where was your origin point in? deciding that design was something that you really wanted to do? Was it always there or was it kind of later in life that you decided that? Interesting. Fun. I was like the, it's like the superhero origin story. Yeah. What's yours? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I take the cape off and the, ma- and the mask down. But, you know, for me, it really started young, actually. My objective growing up was always to get into video games. I decided actually... When I was like 12 years old, I read a book about like making video games. I was like, this is what I want to do. And my, my father, you know, I told him, I was like, I want to go make video games. He's like, okay, well, at the time, you know, I was living in Atlanta. And so he said, you can, you know, if you're going to stay in state and go to college somewhere, it's probably either going to be University of Georgia or Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech's probably the better place. So I decided that day I was going to go to Georgia Tech and become a video game designer. Nice. And that was my plan. And, you know, I moved into that direction through college for my first two years. And uh, around my third year, there was this one course, it was it's called graphics. And it was just, it was so hard. It, 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 I know it was hard because all my friends who were actual computer science majors, <laughs> which I was not, they went through it. And you had to like, hand code, like 3D animations and models and all these things like that. And I, I, I'm not that dude. Like I knew I was not, (laughs) I'm not a programmer like that. And so I saw these dudes struggling before I even took the class. I was like, I'm not going to make it through this. I need to figure something else out. As luck would have it, no pun intended, my friend Cameron Luck, he was a year ahead of me. He's in the same program, good buddy of mine. 
he put me on to the fact that he's like, there's this user interface design course that you should take. I took it last semester. I think you really enjoy it. And so I go into class and the first assignment was to write, you know, a couple paragraphs basically about a website that you don't like or some experience you don't like like that. And so I was like, all right, cool. Wrote this essay, turned it in. Next week, the assignment was, okay, now make a design that fixes it. And I was like, wait, this is like a, this is a job. Like this is a thing I could just do professionally is like go into terrible websites and make them better because this is in 2011. So yeah. it's like, let me tell you, there's a lot of awful websites back in 2011. And so I'm always kind of guy who, you know, I'll sit there and I'll pick stuff apart too whenever I see like issues with things. And like the more I use it, the more I start to really figure out, I'm like, okay, this isn't working. And I'm like, why isn't this working? It's like, oh, it's because of this thing here. And so it was super fun for me to just kind of do that as a job. And I was just like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah, the, so there's this idea of measurement, right? I think this is something that's always been instilled in me. It's like something that you can't measure, you can't control. Something you can't control, you can't improve. Right. And when you think about design in the creative spaces and how much does that concept of you can't judge art mm-hmm. flow into having concrete standards around what's good and what's bad in UX and how you design better websites. Because when you say it's like, this is an awful website, this is a better website, how does those different concepts interloop for you? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it, it is interesting because uh, one of the things that I've talked about before definitely is like, there's this weird balance, I think, that a lot of designers kind of go through in UX where it's like, it's not as much of an art as it is a science, honestly. And, you know, I think people think that you can't become a UX designer if you don't have like an art degree or if you haven't, you know, studied all these different classical, you know, artists and movements and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not that. It's like, it can be learned. That could maybe make you a more effective or more creative UX designer, but that doesn't mean that's like the only way to get into it. And so a lot of UX is, it's science, it's psychology is really what it is. And it's about human behavior as it comes to, you know, as it deals with interacting with a digital website or some sort of interface or some device or something like that. And so I really think that there's a lot about user experience design that can be learned by just about anybody. You know, even at this point, you know, my parents, neither of whom work in like any sort of technological field, like, they understand a lot of simple concepts of UX design because I've explained it to them a bunch of times. And so, you know, I think there's a balance there, but the idea that it's something that has to just be this innately artistic expression, I think, isn't really seeing the the full spectrum of what it is that we do. Yeah, no, I, I love that that you made that distinction because I, I find that I walk around and I'll, I'll make that statement of like, this is a UX problem a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like even <laughs> if mo- most commonly, and this is a pet peeve of mine, most commonly when I walk into spaces, physical spaces, and I'll see a door with a handle, but it only push opens. Oh man, <laughs> that is like, one of my biggest like, pet peeves. <laughs> it's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, <sighs> and then I, you know, I find myself, and mostly because I have that, you know, that, ah, you're an idiot moment because I always mm-hmm. try to, I pull it and I'm like, this doesn't work. This door doesn't work. And then it's like, oh, you're supposed to push that. I was like, so what is, you know what? Just let it go. 
and we're just going to move on with life. But like that's, uh, I like that you made that because it's, it's about how, you know, we have that experience and how we cater that experience to create ease for the customer, right? Exactly. Exactly. I love that. I love that. So as a aspiring designer going to, you said it was Georgia Tech is where you ended up going? Yeah. So going to Georgia Tech, I got to ask this question because that's in Atlanta. Yep. So... A-Town Down. So I went to a PWI as well. I went to Villanova. Okay. What was the experience in Atlanta? Because there's more people of color in the general area than where I grew up, up in the north. What was that experience going to school? Was there a lot of people of color in your program? Or were you still kind of the only in there as well? That is a great question because... It's super interesting. You know, I'm from Atlanta. I'm ATL, born, bred, and raised. You know, I lived there the majority of my life. And so, you know, coming from a city like that, where it is a predominantly black city, it's like not just predominantly minority, but predominantly black, you know, especially when I started growing up in the 90s. And it's changed over time, sure. But it's still very much a place where black people, Blacks culture, and, you know, other minority culture as well, is just very much at the forefront yeah. in a way that is not in, a, in most other major cities. But even still, you know, me personally, I grew up on the north side of town. I grew up in a more affluent suburban sort of community. So I was already mixed in with like a lot of predominantly white spaces or places where there was certainly like there, there were a significant number of black people, but we still probably weren't the majority. You know, I even, I went to private school for a while. I was the only black kid in my class for four years. And so, you know, going from there into the middle of, you know, midtown Atlanta in one of the blackest cities on earth, you kind of expect that to be reflected more in the student body, but it wasn't. And that's really the whole of Georgia Tech. The black students who are there, I would say, weren't, predominantly in the college of computing where I was in, the ones who were there were probably, you know, usually like engineering or business or something like that. But so there was already a sort of small black population within there. And then the degree program I was in, it's called computational media, which is like basically brand new sort of at that point. There weren't many. I mean, it's really like it's a handful. You can count, you know, you know all the other black CM majors around. And I always thought that was, it was always interesting, just given that it's like, you know, I think the whole school's population at the time, as far as the black population was like under 10%, I think it was a single digit percentage. And, you know, it's just going to get slimmer and slimmer. So it was always, there's always a weird sort of tenuous relationship, I think, of just like being a black person in a black city, but not in black spaces all the time either. So yeah, talk about the psychological impact of things, right? Like how does that hit, right? When you when you think about the the reality around that, but do you feel like because of, you know, your your upbringing and being in, in a more affluent area where you you tended to be this, you know, the only in a lot of the the spaces that you were in, did that kind of help you kind of cope with that experience or did you not feel like it was there was anything to cope from? You know, I I think it did help me cope because even I recognize that it's like there was something missing for me in not having a strong black student group there. Not, that's not even the way I necessarily want to put it. But, you know, moving through a place where, you know, for me, like I was saying, when I was in private school, I was there for four years. And it was mostly middle school, and like my first year of high school, which was just some of like the worst years of most people's upbringing anyway. So it's like 
being the only black kid in a space like that was, it was really hard for me. And because of that, I was like, I can at least move through whatever sort of other, you know, places and spaces that I need to. So it gave me sort of a more chameleon-esque ability. But I knew, you know, after I had gone through those years, I went to a public school where there were, you know, it was much more diverse. And I really enjoyed that and, you know, appreciated that about it. And so then going into college, you know, I was like, this isn't too unfamiliar, but I still had to like find ways to, you know, essentially like recharge my black battery, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we had a group, it was called the Minorities of College of Computing. And that was sort of like my safe haven, really. So like all the black computer science majors, all the black CM majors, everybody who was in the college computing showed up at Mac. And so I got to meet you know so many great people who I'm still great friends with, been in, you know, been to their weddings, been at other, you know, all these kinds of things. And so it wasn't something that I wasn't accustomed to, but it was not necessarily the kind of experience that I knew I wanted for myself. So I knew I had to like make a space for myself in that way. And it sounds like that's kind of a theme in your life as well, because now even at Amazon, right, you, you are a part of what Ben designed. Right. Tell me a little bit more about that, whatever you can talk about. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Ben Design is a new organization, relatively new, about a year old. And so I am recently this year elected as one of the leads along with uh, Donald Burlock Jr., who you interviewed already. And, oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, and some of the other board members, Morgan Burton and Camille Anderson. And, you know, the whole objective of Ben Design is really trying to, one, create a communal space for black designers at the whole of Amazon and trying to find a place where we can just come together, let your hair down, just talk and sort of just be ourselves and make a space for ourselves, but also trying to look towards ways that we can advance black people within design at Amazon and even, you know, outside as well and trying to bridge certain external, you know, relationships to hopefully elevate the brand and bring in, you know, more black designers at all sorts of levels. I think one of the big things that we're really looking forward to this year is trying to focus a lot on, you know, previously in the last two years with everything that's gone on from, you know, since 2020, we saw this big push in in design and in the whole of Amazon, I think really in recruiting black people and bringing just more black talent into the company. And so we're like, well, we have that talent now. We're still finding ways of getting them, but we're also not necessarily getting them at a high enough levels. You know, we want to see not just more black faces, but more black faces at higher positions of authority within the company and, you know, just higher levels. And so how can we help people get promoted and what can we do to, you know, help people get on the track that they need? Yeah. So that's that's really a big goal for us this year. Yeah. In general, from a workforce planning perspective, it makes sense to focus on on higher tier, higher level candidates, because it's no, again, talking about the psychology of things, right? You, when you think about organizational psychology, like people hire people like them. Mm-hmm. And if we're consistently doing that, it's always going to be an uphill battle when there's no people like us in those levels. So that's 100% fair. I want to go back to a comment that you made about Ben Design. I'm going to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that when it comes to your daily job or just you you coming into work? Because I, I actually, I relate to the comment, but I want to hear what you, you know, what, what you meant by that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, there's just the the politics of being in an office space and being in a corporate space. And just, it's something that just comes with your work, no matter where you are, what level you are, any of that kind of stuff. And so I think just as an employee, you, you have a certain professional self-image that you want to portray and that you try to carry throughout the day and in the way you interact with people and all that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that always does a service to you individually. You know, I think it's a way for people to to just kind of get by on a nine to five sort of basis. But you also need to have space for like the happy hours for the time where you get to just connect with people. I mean, yeah. you know, in the last two years of being at home, I, I think that's the thing that I've missed most about work is just the ability to go in and to connect with the other people like physically around me. That was that was my greatest joy out of my work a lot of times, which is being in a communal space with people who I really liked and just, you know, got to know better. So we wanted to make sure that we brought that back, but then also with an appreciation for the fact that as a black person in corporate America, I wouldn't say that this is necessarily the kind of environment that we created for ourselves initially, you know, and I think that there's just historically, it's been not necessarily designed for us. And so as black designers, I think it is our duty really to make things for us, by us in that sense, and try to have places and spaces where we can, we can commune and we can just really connect and talk about, you know, anything that may be bothering us, but also just what brings us joy, what brings us happiness and making black joy like a part of your prescribed day. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I absolutely love that. Making black joy as a part of your prescribed day. So, as as a part of your personal journey in in design and and in giving back, and what I'm hearing a lot, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing a lot is like you, you've had certain experiences that, and I think you and you speak to them really eloquently. And I give you, I, I'll give you credit to that because I I also behind that, I I also hear a lot of struggle, a lot of pain, having to deal with some of these things, especially on your own, as far as like being the only person existing in this space, not seeing a lot of representation, but still kind of like, you know, taking the strides. But you then have learned from those, you know, feelings and emotions and experiences that you've been through and focus on how can you create better spaces so that other people don't necessarily have to experience that. And as a part of that, I'm familiar with the fact that you also have your own, you know, podcast. Talk to me a little bit about what the origin point for your podcast was and, you know, what do you use it for? So the podcast is, we have a YouTube channel. It's called Bull Design. Go check it out. Yeah. <laughs> Shameless plug. But the whole point of the project really came about with my friend Cameron, as well as another friend of ours, Wixel. This is the same Cameron from college. Yes. Cameron Luck has been, he, he's been a recurring person in my life since college. Nice. He's actually married to my cousin, which is a whole funny story because oh, okay. I, didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know she was my cousin at the time. And like, I have a huge family. It's a whole thing. Yeah. But yeah. So he's technically related to me by marriage, but yeah. we were friends even before that. And so he was the one who actually referred me to Amazon the first time I came through here. And so that was 
how I ended up here. So he's been a big part of my life. But we've also just really been great collaborators over the years. When we were in college, we spent a lot of time working on music videos, video games, movies, all these kinds of things. And so I think that naturally just worked for us to move into a space where Cameron, Wixell, and I are all UX designers. We were all at Amazon at the time. And we wanted to start a platform, honestly, that could bring in new talent to UX design, that could really teach UX design in a a career-oriented way. And we saw just sort of a lack in the space that's out there now as far as like, this is, you get to like some basic stuff and that's kind of, that's all right. But then it's like, it just kind of peters out after that. And, you know, there wasn't a lot to really tell you about how to get into tech, how to get into like, you know, larger tech companies, how to present yourself in your portfolio and how you need, you know, curate these portfolio pieces in different ways and speak to different things. And so what we really wanted to do is make sure that we were attracting a lot of black and brown talent, honestly. And, you know, people who looked like us, people who came from underserved communities or, you know, didn't have traditional college education and those kinds of resources to be able to, who who felt the need to get into design for whatever reason or who was making sort of a late career stage change. And that was really where it all came about. And so for us to, you know, make something that we felt could reach those people, you know, we were like, this would be great as far as, like we were saying, try to, that that recruitment side, right? And trying to bring people into the fold and get more Black people, honestly, into into design. Yeah, I, I love that. So trying to change, what is it, the 3%, trying to raise that percentage? I actually spoke to Timothy Bardlavens mm-hmm. about that in a previous episode where where he was kind of discussing how that number really historically just hasn't really moved, which is 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 pretty disturbing in many in many ways. Pretty damning in a lot of ways. Yeah. So you're you're working on kind of filling that gap, you know, in your own way with with the the, the you said bold design podcast. So actually, bold design is the name of the YouTube channel, but the podcast itself is called the Decipher Podcast. And that's kind of like what I was getting at earlier, that idea of like taking your experience and saying, this could be so useful to other people. And I'm not sure, was that a conscious decision or was that just, you know, I just kind of want to do a thing and if it happens to help people, then it happens to help people. I want the honest answer here. Uh, You know, I think think it's a little bit of both. I'm not, I'd be lying if I said it, it wasn't. I think... As far as, you know, if I had to pick one over the other, I think there was definitely more of an objective in us doing this as opposed to like other creative projects I've done in the past where it's like, I just want to do a thing. I just, you know, I really had a cool idea I want to execute on or something like that. This was something that was, it was a mission. And I felt in a lot of ways, a sense of purpose behind it. Yeah. You know, I think what we should be doing as sort of the like, I don't even want to say the first generation of black designers because there have been black designers, you know, all throughout history and people who have just not gotten the kind of recognition that they deserve. But I think we're kind of getting to a place where it's like, this is probably the largest generation of like black designers that we've had and trying to pave the way so that way we can bring in that next generation, right? And trying to do things to put people onto game early on because there are just things that, you won't learn otherwise unless someone's there to teach you. I personally have always had a very strong ethos of like each one teach one. You know, this is a 
is a tribal knowledge sort of profession in a lot of ways. And, you know, the, the point should be that we're trying to make these, not just whatever products we're working on better, but whatever places were better. And hopefully through our work, we could make the world ultimately a better place. And so I, you know, feel the need to, to do something to, to help with that. And if this is my way, then perfect. And I'm going to try and do that to the best of my ability. Absolutely love that. You're, you're doing a lot, right? You're doing a lot. I think it's really easy for us to forget how much we are doing and how much, you know, our impact has because the world is so big, you know, that we, we don't realize that we're all pieces to a puzzle. And it's important to make sure that you manifest your piece appropriately so that it fits appropriately on the puzzle instead of trying to be the puzzle itself. So if you haven't heard it lately, you're doing a lot. I appreciate the work that you're doing with Bold Design, <laughs> with Ben Design, and just, you know, being an example for the people that come behind you. Thank you, Kaylin, for joining me on, on the Black Source podcast and sharing your story here. Absolutely. I appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. 